Welcome to the Rebel Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Leona Burton. In a world where conformity often reigns supreme, I'm here to spotlight the rebels, the mavericks, and the trailblazers who are changing the game. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Peaks Private Members Club, where exclusivity meets innovation. Join me as we dive into the untamed world of influencers who dare to defy the norm. Get ready to be inspired, challenged and captivated as we explore the stories and insights of those who are rewriting the rules. Let's unleash the rebel in you. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Influencer Podcast with me, Leona Burton. And today I am joined by a very special guest. This man has been in my sights for many, many years. I have been blown away by his success and his achievements in the industry that I share so much passion and love with. And the the impact that he has had on the world is second to none. Dr. Ivan Meisner, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence today. I am very, very grateful for you being here and sharing with us some of your wisdom. I'm sure you have so much wisdom, we cannot pack it into an hour. (laughs) Well, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. I I love doing uh, these interviews. It's the fun part of my job. Thank you so much for being here. So let's rewind before we get to the current day. I was doing a little bit of research around BNI, and actually, you established BNI in 1985, which is the year I was born. So, a very special year. Um, yes, <laughs> absolutely. What led you to the point of establishing what is now a global phenomenon? Well, I was looking for referrals for my consulting practice. You know, I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization, but I, I needed some referrals. I was a management consultant. I put together some people who I trusted. They trusted me. And we agreed to refer each other. And um, we did for a couple of months. And then somebody came to that group who couldn't join that chapter because we only take one person per professional classification. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't join because her classification was represented. And she asked if, she, if I would help her open up a second group. And, and Leona, to be honest with you, I, I actually said no. No, this isn't what I do. I'm, I'm a business consultant. I don't, I don't run a network. And she said, no, well, you know, this is kind of consulting. You're helping me build my business. Okay. So I, I did the second group and uh, two people came to the second group who couldn't join because of a classification conflict. And both of them said, you know, we'd love to join, but we can't. Would you help us open two more? And I said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. And they talked me into it, and 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 then I was off to the races. At the end of a year, we I you know I had twenty chapters, and and I wasn't trying. And that's when I realized what I had been taught in school about push marketing versus pull marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, push marketing is like you know you're pushing a rock up a hill. Uh, pull marketing, you're just getting pulled through the marketplace. You know, marketplace is just pulling you through it. And I thought I'm being pulled through the marketplace. I I better pay attention to this. This is going to be way bigger than I anticipated. And I call it my Brody moment. You remember, remember the movie Jaws? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sheriff Brody at the end, he's throwing out chum. Jaws, you see Jaws for the first time come out of the water, scares the heck out of the sheriff. The sheriff turns around to the captain and he says, you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> and that was my Brody moment where I realized I'm, I'm going to need a bigger boat. This is going to be a lot bigger than I anticipated. BNI now has, as of this morning, 11,000 and 62 chapters. We have 312,240 members worldwide. Wow. I get a daily report. 
that is just um, I absolutely love the fact you have a daily report that's incredible so you realize that you you're you're having a Brody moment and you know business is moving fast and it's something you hadn't anticipated or planned out to actually achieve what were the steps that you took after that because I think sometimes when that starts to happen for some people people start to panic and not really understand how they can progress and how they handle all of that momentum yeah well i think uh, you're right and there was certainly all a little bit of that that happened to me but at some point you gotta you gotta take a deep breath and create a plan um and the plan is critical in terms of scaling a business if you want to scale you have to create a plan to help uh, do that and for me, one of the first things that was necessary was, was to write everything down because I was basically creating an industry. Um, you know, there was no there was no book I could go to that says do this to create a network, a network like BNI. And so I had to create it. And so it was about writing everything down, everything I did right, everything I did wrong. And then once I was figuring out how to do things right, then I was a it was a strategy that I think is critical, and it's why so many businesses fail is if you want to be successful, you have to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. Yeah. And most businesses are doing a thousand things six times. And by the way, it doesn't have to be six. It could be five, it could be seven, but it's a handful of things that you do over and over and over and over again. And if I have any superpower as a business person, it is that I am a dog with a bone. I, I will take something and work it and work it and work it until it's, it's working well. I absolutely love that. And I think, especially in this day and age where we have social media and things are moving fast and we live in an Amazon society where, you know, as entrepreneurs, we want things very quickly, especially the younger generation I've seen in my children also, is this expectation that we can do something and we will achieve those results quickly. And although you may have short-term success or overnight success, then the work starts and you have to be consistent. And so you have been consistent for 30, almost 38 years, right? Yeah, 30 years. almost 39 now, it's 38 and a half years. Wow, and so what has that consistency actually looked like when it's come to growing BNI? Because it is a monster. I mean, whenever you talk about networking, there's the first name that comes to mind every single time. Yeah, I mean, when you think about 11,000 chapters that meet every week somewhere around the world. Uh, that, that is, uh, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing to me. Um, and I, I, so, I mean, some of the other things that you do, once you, once you have a plan and a system, um, you got to learn how to delegate. Delegating is critical and we're not really taught how to delegate effectively. If you want to scale a business, you can't do it alone. I couldn't have created 11,000 chapters by myself. Heck, there's almost 10,000 people who work for the company worldwide as either employees or independent contractors. So, you know, to scale to that magnitude, you've you got to learn how to delegate. And I'll, I'll tell you something I was not taught at university. You, you have to delegate not only responsibility, which is what everybody does. They delegate responsibility, for, at least for a while. You also have to delegate authority. So to scale a business, you have to learn how to delegate effectively. And that means delegate responsibility and authority. Now, you don't delegate 100% responsibility to a learner. Okay, this is your job. You can make any decision. You, you got to teach them. So you, you, part of that teaching them is, um, is an orientation. Most companies, they just throw the new employee to the lions. You know, here's the, here's the job. In BNI, one of the things that we've done for many years are what we call boot camp. 
where uh, BNI bootcamp, you've got to go through BNI bootcamp. You got to attend meetings. You got to read some books. You got to meet different people in the office. You can't start your job full time until you finish bootcamp. So you train them. You give them 50% authority. And then over time, you give them 60, 70, 80. Now, I would give my employees up to 95% authority. They could make any decision except two points I would hold back. One had something to do with money, and it would depend on how high in the organization they were. If they were the receptionist, you know, it might be $50. If, if they were an executive, it might be $50,000. So it would, it would vary depending on the role. The second was legal. If, if there was some issue that could potentially be a legal issue, they had to come to me. So if it went over the money or involved an attorney, they had to come to me. Otherwise, over time, they would get, other than those two things, 100% authority. Now, people say to me, yeah, but Ivan, they're going to make mistakes. Yeah, they're going to make mistakes. Like you never have, like I never have. Some of the biggest mistakes made in my company certainly one of the most expensive mistakes made in my company. I made, I made it. So yeah, you got to give them the authority and they'll figure it out and they'll learn. The question you ask yourself is they, did they do it out of malice? Did they do it? Did they make the mistake because they weren't paying attention? Were they complacent or was it an honest mistake? You know, with the information that they had at the moment. And if the, if the answer is it was an honest mistake with the information that they had at the moment, then that's part of the tuition of training an employee. If it was done because they were lazy, yeah, fire. You got to learn how to hire slow and fire fast. I mean, that's definitely been an interesting one for me and something that I have had to learn along the way. <laughs> and it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but I um I can understand how that's very important for a business. So. BNI has been around and there have been, you know, economic highs and lows and challenges, I'm sure, throughout your almost 39 years, 39 and a half years or whatever it's been in business now. How has BNI and yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur navigated the peaks and troughs of, of, of business? Yeah, well, we've there have there have been peaks and troughs for sure, although uh, we are one of the few organizations in the world that has had 38 years of consecutive growth. Um, not one year uh, did we were we smaller that year than we were the year before. So we have grown uh, 38 years in a row. That said, uh, some years were a lot tougher than others, particularly the COVID years. I mean, think about COVID. Um, when COVID hit, we had 9,800 groups and we met weekly in person. Uh, that had, we had, to, we had to turn on a dime. And so in literally in weeks, as we went from country to country to transition, we completely transitioned from uh, in-person meetings to online meetings. And that not only served, that not only saved BNI, I would argue it saved tens of thousands of businesses because they were able to continue to do business uh, and to get ideas about new businesses. Like the woman who had a furniture reupholstery shop and had to close it down because it wasn't an essential business. And one of her members said, hey, have, you know, everybody needs masks. Have you thought about using any of that cloth for masks? And that was like, it blew her mind. She's like, no, I hadn't thought about that. So she started making, she became a cloth 
um, mask manufacturing business. It saved her company. And that's, for me, that was what I witnessed. I mean, as an organization, my organization was, I mean, it was like pulling teeth, but we made that transition very quickly. And I completely agree. Lots of people really, really struggled through COVID, but actually it was the communities coming together. Like B and I coming together and saying, you know what, we've never experienced this before. What can we make, what can we make of this? And I was very impressed by B and I's very proactive approach to okay we've never experienced this before but we're going to come together and we're going to make this work and actually it lasted much longer than any of us would have liked but but B and I grew through that and that's very very impressive and something that not a lot of people did so what would you put that down to because for me that is pure tenacity <laughs> that is that's you as a, as a founder and CEO being very tenacious well, I think it was planning, it was execution, and it was culture. And uh, I can't take uh, I can't take credit for the COVID uh, response. Uh, the CEO uh, for the company, he was looking around a corner. Uh, Graham Weimuller. Um, I'd like to think I planted the seed because I actually wrote an article in 2018, two years before COVID. Um, it's, it's still up on Entrepreneur.com. I forget the exact title, but um, basically, it's the future of face to face is online. And when I wrote that article, B and I people were like, oh, it's not so, you know, the old man's losing it. You can't be, you can't be serious because I was saying technology is changing so quickly that, uh, you know, it's not going to be too, far. It's in our lifetimes, we're going to have meetings like the Jedi Knights with holographic images and, Absolutely. you know, the metaverse. And, and I, I think I said in the article, when we, when we get to the Jedi Knights in a circle, I want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so I had a little fun with this article, but I believed it that, the technology uh, was going to lead the way in networking. So when COVID hit in 2020, it was Graham who saw it coming. And I'd like to think I maybe planted a seed, but he made it happen. And we literally uh, transitioned our, all of our chapters in China in January of 2020. Wow. We did Italy and most of Europe in February, and then we transitioned the rest of the world in March um, in 2020. And, and, uh, I, I think, you know, the planting the seed helped, but it was, it was Graham and his leadership that, so it was, the, it was having a plan. Uh, it was the execution of that plan. And the third part's culture, which I haven't talked about. I think culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's the secret sauce for a successful organization. And it's, it's many organizations, many networks who did not have a healthy culture crashed and burned. And most of our groups had, you know, pretty healthy culture based on our principal core value of giver's gain. What What do you think makes a great culture for an organization? Because, you know, we're seeing the rise of the ping pong table in the office and, you know, after dinner, you know, after work drinks and stuff. But for me, culture is more than that. Um, and I'm sure you've seen that with BNI over, you know, decades and decades of people working for your organization. What really makes that culture the best culture that you can get in an organization? Well, I've written about this a bit. The processes that you do in an organization become the organizational traditions. People talk about those traditions. You know, when we started, this happened and we did this and we did that. Those traditions become core values. And the core values are the really the DNA of the culture. 
And so when you have the core values, that's what, when you, when you implement the core values that you create for your organization, that's what creates an incredible culture. Now, um, and you can do that at any point, you know, if you've been in business for a few years and you haven't created your core values, do it now. Uh, and let me tell you something, if you don't create your core values, someone in your organization, someone else in your organization will, and you may not like them. You may not like the core values that evolve because you didn't manage it. So uh, our core, we have seven core values and part of boot camp is a test. We have to answer what are the seven core values of the organization. And so we try to incorporate the core values into um, the organization. That's what creates culture. Talking about the core values over and over and over again. I absolutely love that. And I think that's very important because actually as an organization grows, it can feel that it's almost harder to hold on to those core values because yep. you know it's a little bit like Chinese whispers. But actually I like the fact that those are reinforced and those are reinstated consistently all of the time. So what does that actually look like from a tangible? Do you put that into your promotional materials? Do you put that into your trainings? Is that kind of rubber stamped on people's foreheads as they come through the door? What does that look like? Well, it, it, I would say it starts with the training. Uh, the training is uh, an absolutely critical element of um, what we do with the core values. Uh, so I mentioned that in Boot camp, the employees have to uh, be able to recite the core values, but also at BNI chapters. In a chapter, we have an education coordinator, and one of the things that we suggest the education coordinators do is talk about the core values uh, over, over a two-month period. With, so there are seven core values. You begin by talking about why core values are important and culture is important, and then you, you start talking about each of the core values each week in the few minutes that you have as education coordinator. The first core values are principal core value, givers gain. If you want to get business, you have to be willing to give business. And I think it's it's probably one of the, it's I, it's a core value that I am so glad that I created because it really makes a difference as a networking organization. The next is building relationships. You know, networking is all about building relationships. The third is lifelong learning. We don't teach this in colleges and universities, networking. So it's about lifelong learning and, and getting better and better. The fourth is traditions plus innovation. You have to know where you come from as a tribe, but you also need to know where you're going. And innovation is important. Positive attitude is fifth. Accountability is sixth. And recognition is seventh. Accountability is the interesting one because, well, they're all interesting, but accountability is particularly interesting because friends don't like to hold friends accountable. Um, but if you don't hold people accountable in a networking organization, it becomes a coffee clutch, And a coffee clutch um, is not going to be effective it's you're not going to get business out of it so it's a it's a you know we tell people yeah we have rules follow the rules but um you know apply the rules more like mandela than attila <laughs> yeah absolutely do you think that that's why bni is such a success because you do have those those values you do have those rules you do have that expectation of not only the people that run your chapters, but also your members. There yeah. is this expectation. There is. Yeah, and I, I think if you expect the best out of people, you tend to get it. If you expect less than the best out of people, you tend to get it. Uh, you know, people like water will pat, uh, uh, f follow the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it, takes, it takes work um, to, to implement a system of... 30 like-minded, 40 like-minded people um, 
and, and, and to make sure that it just doesn't become a social gathering. You know, it's important that the people in a group are friends, but um, it's, but we're not a friendship organization. No, absolutely. And business yeah. is business. You're there to do business. And I think yeah. sometimes, you know, there is a kind of blurred line and, and it's like, you know, you've got to ask for those referrals and you've got to make sure that you're consistently putting yourself out there and asking for business. And I think yeah. especially as a, as a woman, and it'd be interesting to have you see your take on this, but as I obviously look after a female organization and I think women tend to ask for the sale less than guys. And I don't know what it really boils down to, but it's confusing to me, guys, you, you know, you're in business, you've got to ask for the sale and you've got to ask for those recommendations <laughs> and that whole putting yourself out there and really putting yourself forward and throwing your name into the hat. That's going to make a difference to whether you are a success or not, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. And I agree with your assessment. Uh, I did a book years ago. Uh, it's an interesting title. Uh, the subtitle is, it kind of give, gives it, makes more sense. The, the title of the book is called Business Networking and Sex. Subtitle, not what you think. <laughs> um, and it's about the difference between men and women and how they network. Yeah. And we found, uh, we surveyed 12,000 people. It's a lot of people. And we got some consistent patterns. And one of the patterns that we got was that um, men were more likely than women to be transactional in the way they did business, that you know, go, go right for the transaction. Women were more likely than men to be relational. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a huge difference, but there was a difference. Women were more likely to be relational in the way they networked. Now, what was interesting was that um, women spent less time networking per week than men, but they generated a higher percentage of business wow. than men. And they were more likely to be relational than the men were. Now, um, they, they, what's, what we did then was we combined men and women and looked at transactional versus relational. And the men and women who were relational in the way they networked uh, were more likely to, to, to get referrals than the men and women who were transactional. Now, to follow that up, one of the things that came out from the, particularly the interviews, even more than the surveys, was that women uh, were more relational in their networking, but they weren't asking for the sale. Mm -hmm. uh, and that came out in the survey work we did, um, actually the, the interview work we did for the book, uh, where women were, were more uncomfortable asking for the sale. I think women tend to be a little bit more afraid of rejection, whereas guys kind of, kind of, traditionally brush that off a little bit more whereas women take it personally you know somebody I, says, I can't speak for young people today and i understand there's a whole other but as a as a, a baby boomer yeah we're you know we we asked enough women out to to be told no that we're a little more used to the rejection absolutely i think you know you're absolutely bang on the money there so you've built this incredible network of amazing entrepreneurs that are moving and shaking, that want more out of life, that, that want to continuously grow and succeed. What is next for BNI other than massive growth? Because the way that you facilitate that support is second to none. Thank you. And when, you know, we'd like to think that we, we have an online platform called BNI Connect where our, all of our members worldwide can connect with each other. Uh, we track the amount of business that's generated. Uh, and I think what's the future really is we want to make a bigger impact for more people. I mean, that's the bottom line. 
Um, in the last 12 months, in the preceding 12 months, BNI passed, we, we do something called thank you for closed business. So when somebody gets a referral and it turns into a sale, they put it into the, our online system that says, I just made X number of dollars. Okay. So in the past 12 months, BNI did 22.6 billion. That's a billion with a B, 22.6 billion US dollars in business for our members through thank you for closed business. Now here's, here's the cool part. That's pretty cool actually, but here's where it gets really cool. Um, if you took United Nations estimates on national GDPs, the gross domestic product for countries, there would be 114 countries in the world with a lower GDP than what BNI did for its members in the last 12 months. That is incredibly yeah. impressive. Yeah. I mean, that that is huge. That is huge. And, and for me, that's huge because that means that business owners are able to survive and do what they need to do in order to provide for their families, which is, is so incredibly important. And to facilitate that kind of support is, is just amazing, amazing, amazing. Wow. I, I, I think your network is a, a beacon of hope in a sea of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, because we live in a crazy world, but your network, uh, they're the people that you can go to and seek help from, uh, you know, seek support. Uh, and, and in BNI certainly seek referrals and, you know, that's, I think we do a little bit of all of that, but definitely, definitely the referrals. So I'm sure you've seen a network or two over your years of, of, uh, founding BNI. What yeah. makes a very good networker? Well, okay. So a really good networker is somebody who goes in with uh, the right expectations. Um, it, it, the process is more of a marathon than a sprint. Uh, it, it, it takes time to build relationships. One of the things that we teach when someone joins is something called the time confidence curve. So it doesn't matter how much time, whether it, it Different professions take a different amount of time, but you got to hit you got to hit the the, the the confidence curve. So that so it takes a certain amount of time before people have confidence in your ability to provide a quality product or service. Mm -hmm. So the florist might have a short time confidence curve. The printer would be a little longer. The the um, real estate agent longer. A financial planner investing someone's retirement income is the longest probably. And so you have to go in with the right expectations, understanding your profession and how long does it take for the pipeline of connections that you've got to turn into a sale. And in, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It, it, it takes time. So that means then that you need to treat it more like uh, farming than hunting. That it's about cultivating these relationships with people. It's not, it's not a get rich Quick scheme. Oh. I think the biggest mistake, I'll give you one more thing. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 um, I went to an event a decade ago in London, 900 people. I was the keynote speaker. It was an all day event. I was watching people network and, and I could just see it was very transactional. You know, people were just, hi, my name is Ivan. Let's do business. And they were trying to sell to each other. And so I stood up and when I had a chance to do my speech, 900 people. And I said, how many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly, sell something. The owner, 900 people raise their hands. Like, Great. Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? Mm 
Nobody. No one raised their hands. Not one <laughs> single person. No, so I, that's no. what I call the networking disconnect. People show up wanting to make a sale, but they don't want um, to, to, to buy. You go to networking events to build relationships with people, to get referrals and to get sales. It's about building relationships. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I smile because that makes complete sense to me. And I completely agree. And the reality is you don't attend networking events to buy anything. You go because in, in people's minds, they go because they want to sell something. But actually, that is a, a longer term relationship thing. And it does take that cultivating relationships. And that actually takes me back to what I was going to ask you. So that cultivation of relationships in your opinion, what's the best way to cultivate relationships? Because I see a lot of people hesitant about asking to reconnect or for a business card or, you know, to to ex- extend on a coffee or to go out for dinner because, you know, for me, that's a cultivating of a relationship. That's expanding on the conversations that you might have initially had in the environment when you first met that person. Yeah. Um and, and I think that that's an important part of the process. Yeah. Well, let's take it from the very beginning. When you meet somebody at an event, um, I have in, in a couple of my books, I talk about the 24, 7, 30 principle, 24, 7, 30. And um, the, what this means is that within 24 hours, you drop them a, a thank you note, either a handwritten note. Uh, you know, nobody does handwritten notes anymore. Um, you know, that's impressive or, or at least an email. You know, send them a note saying, hey, it was really nice meeting you at uh, that networking event the other day, yesterday. And uh, uh, I hope our paths cross again. I enjoyed our conversation about X. I hope our paths cross again. And don't sell to them. Don't, you know, say, hey, you know, if you need my products, here's my card, whatever. Uh, If you've already given them your card, don't put your card in again. And and, and just, just a connection. Just make a contact. Okay, then within seven days, reach out to them on social media. Within seven days, reach out to them on social media. I learned something from my kids about this when they were young. Uh, my youngest is now 30, but when they were all in their teens, uh, I, I, would, um, I reached out to my eldest, Ashley, and um, I called her. She wouldn't answer. And, but if I texted her, now this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago. If I texted her, boom, she'd respond immediately. I remember having a conversation with her saying, hey, honey, you know, just has a, an earpiece and a mouthpiece and you can actually talk to somebody. And I just, yeah, dad, I know. So, okay, fine. I texted her. If I wanted to connect with her, I'd text her. Then my, my second daughter, again, this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I would call her nothing. I'd text her nothing. And I asked my late wife, I said, um, um, I can't reach Dorian. She doesn't respond. She said, oh, we have to WhatsApp her. Now, 15, 20 years ago, I said, what's WhatsApp? I don't know what that is. And so I, I downloaded WhatsApp just and up until like last year, I had no other contacts on my WhatsApp except Dorian. Oh. So if I called her nothing, if I texted her nothing, but if I WhatsApped her, she'd respond. So, okay, text for my daughter, WhatsApp for my other daughter. Now my son, if I call him, no chance. He's not, and he didn't like WhatsApp. And so I knew he was a gamer. And I also knew they had an instant messaging feature on um, uh, Steam, which was an online platform to buy. Maybe your kids aren't old enough. Trust me that at some point they're going to want Steam. So Steam is an online platform. You, you download the platform and then you can buy games. 
and then you can instant message somebody. You can connect with them in instant message. So I knew he was a gamer. So I was, I was probably in my late 40s, early 50s. I download Steam. I buy a game so that I can instant message my son. Oh, that's so endearing, though, that you, you've done all of those things to have, you know, to build on your relationships with your children. I love that. And if I texted him or instant messaged him, boom, he'd respond. You know, what, Dad? What do you want? <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd get back to me. So here's why I tell the story. You, you need to go where your contacts are, not where you are. Yes. So, uh, and I learned that from my kids. So one of the things when you're meeting somebody and you're talking to them, you want to ask them, you know, what social media platform do you use the most? And make a, make a note of that. You know, either write it on the back of their card. Some countries, by the way, writing on cards are rude. Don't do it in Asian countries. But you write it on a card, write it on a note. Um, uh, what what platform they use most? By the way, I'm probably more on I'm on all of the platforms, but Facebook, my public page on Facebook's got about 232,000 followers, so that's probably where I, I spend most of my time in social media. Um, and so you find that out, and then reach out to them on social media and start commenting on their posts and liking their posts and interacting with them. That's the second 24/7, 30 within 30 days, reach out to them and say, hey, it was great meeting you a month ago. I dropped you an email. I've been following your social media. I really like what you're talking about with whatever. Uh, I'd love to get together for coffee and um, just learn more about your business if you're available. And if they live far away, I'd like to get together on Zoom, learn more about your business if you're available. And so 24 hours, one contact, seven days social media, 30 days meet with them in person if possible or online. And, and do a one-to-one -one where you can go a little bit deeper and learn about them. That's, that's the recommendations that I make when you meet somebody for the first time. I am totally going to quote you next time I do a training on networking because that is absolutely genius. And I probably follow that process, but I don't identify it as that process. So that's perfect. What book is that in? Because we, we need these books. Uh, it's in Networking Like a Pro, second edition. Oh. I'm all over that. I'm going to highly recommend it to all of my audience. That's genius. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, yeah, so and I think it's also on my blog. Um, yeah, June 14th, 2018, um, the 24-7-30 the follow-up system. Wow. I absolutely love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. So you have a CEO in place. You've, you know, you've built this huge organization. Are you really hands-on nowadays or have you been able to kind of kick back, take some time? I've been stalking you on social, so I know what the answer is to this, but everybody else hasn't probably stalked you quite as much as I have. Um, what what does life look like for you now? Yeah, well, I, I joke around. I say I'm, I'm semi-retired. I'm down to 40 hours a week. <laughs> um, you know, I, I used to put in long hours, uh, but I'm doing the things I love. You know, I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. Yeah. And when they're working in their flame, they're on fire, they're excited, they love what they're doing, they're passionate about it, people can see that in the way they behave, they can hear it in their voice. When they're working in their wax, it takes all their energy away. They can hear that in their voice, they can see that in the way they behave. So I'm working in my flame, uh, and this is my flame. I love pouring into people, I love doing interviews. Uh, I write books so that I can do interviews on, on you know, changing topics. Uh, so I'm working on a number uh, of books, but I'm, I'm doing the things I love. Uh, I, I, I no longer run the day-to-day -day management of the business. I am still on the board of directors and I still am basically the spokesperson uh, 
public spokesperson for the company. But um, I, I, I love what I do. And you have been recently traveling all over the place. You, I, you don't seem to sit still for five minutes, which I, I, I love. Um, and you've been, to, I think you've been to Asia and a couple of other places to visit. Yeah, I've been to Sri Lanka uh, and India uh, this year. I also went to Belfast. And now I'm going to Milan and Venice. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a little business in Venice, but there might be some romance in Venice as well. Who knows? Really? That's yeah, yeah. But there's there's a woman in my life, so um, yeah, oh, she oh, be coming along. Oh, I'm so uh, that that's lovely because I know um, I know that you lost your wife a number of years ago, and I'm I'm sorry for yeah. your loss. But I am so I'm so glad that you have have got somebody to share lots of wonderful adventures with because that's 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 lovely. Yeah, and thanks for your comment about my wife. And for for anyone who's lost a spouse, there's a podcast I recommend, and I've recommended it now for several years. It's a great name, Widow We Do Now. Wow. Widow We Do Now. Uh, and it's a couple of young widows that do this podcast. And they also have a private Facebook group. So if you do a search on Facebook for Widow We Do Now, you can you can join, but you have to you have to conf- you have to get confirmation that you are in fact widowed or uh, a widow. Um, because they don't want they don't want people there for the wrong reasons. Oh, it's so, yeah, it's it helped me a great deal. And so yeah, anyway, I've been seeing someone and uh, going to Venice and then and then I go to Madrid after that. Incredible. So you're going to to visit your chapters uh, yeah. in those places. What what do you do when you're there? Do you meet your members? Do you do some training? Uh, I want all of the I want all of the gossip. Mr. Well, I do. I usually have a keynote presentation. So at the convention, I'm going to be doing a keynote presentation on a book that'll be out in October called The Third Paradigm. Mm -hmm. And the first paradigm is competition. The first, second paradigm is cooperation. The third paradigm is co-creation. And so we we just finished the book. It's going to be out in the middle of October. So I'll I'll be doing a keynote on that. Uh, And then I do a lot of what we call group dance cards, uh, group meetings where there might be 10 to 100 people in a room just asking me questions, really doing an interview. And then I do a full-on public called Ask the Founder. And I have no, those are fun because I stand up for an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, and I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. None. Oh, that's the best, though. Whatever questions they have is what I answer. Yeah, and I think that that people have a, a... a tendency to pull the best things from you you know when it's not prepared it's just kind of flow and you kind of really get to to meet the the real founder which is awesome I mean that's so exciting I I'm not going to stalk you on social media and, and watch what you're doing at all um <laughs> well, you're welcome to watch what I'm doing on social media I am totally stalking you um which is awesome which is awesome and I think actually you know one of the reasons why I think you know, this is my opinion, uh, BNI is so successful is because you have such a hands-on approach to your organization, even though you're semi-retired, but not really. Um, I think that that culture and those values are felt throughout. Um, and actually, whoever I've spoken to who is either running a chapter or, or attends a, a BNI event, that is very much felt throughout. And what you have created is a legacy. I mean, it is inspirational. It is something that I, as somebody who runs a, a network for, for women in business, I 
if people ask me what I want to do and I want to create the female version of BNI and I am like it might be a big goal but I'm gonna give it a good go and and that for me is something that is aspirational so I just want to say a massive congratulations to you but also thank you so much for teaching people that there is a better way to grow a business that you can network in and for all of your facilitation all over the world of you know bringing people together which is just just incredible. So um, we need everybody to go and stalk you on social media and have a look at your all of the wonderful things that you're doing. Where can we get hold of your books? Where are those those books sold? Well, at what few bookstores are left, uh, you might be able to find them there. But it, it, all my books uh, that are in print are on Amazon. Um, you can you can definitely find them uh, Amazon.com. And uh, the latest one, the second edition of Who's in Your Room, which is all about the people you surround yourself with. Uh, came out um, within the last eight months, and then I've got the third paradigm coming out in a couple of months. So I, I keep I keep punching out books. On average, I do about a book a year. Wow, that is incredible. Where did where did where does that inspiration come from? Well, I mean, it comes from uh, most of the books I do now. I do with co-authors, so they come to me with ideas, um, or I will go to somebody else with an idea, and and we work on it together. Uh, it's just, it's much easier to punch out a book. You know, if, if you're still in business and I'm still working uh, BNI, I don't, like I say, I don't run it, but you know, I'm still very engaged in BNI. If you're still working pretty close to full time, you, you, it helps if you have somebody else helping you with the writing. So co-authors are mostly what I do. That's incredible. I'm going to go over and buy all of your books right now. Start with who's in your room. I, I'm I'm loving the title because I think, you know, the people that are in your room are, you know, pivotal to your success or your downfall, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. You want to hear you want to hear 120 seconds on on the concept? Yes. Imagine you live your life in one room and that one room has only one door. And that one door is an enter only door. So that when people come into your room or into your life, they're there forever. You can never get them out. Now, luckily it's a metaphor, but if it were true, Leona, would you have been more careful about the people you've led into your life? Amen. Absolutely. So we argue it's not a metaphor and here's why. I want you to think of somebody that you got out of your life. You got them out of your life. Uh, and maybe they were toxic, difficult, angry, challenging, whatever. So I want you to think of somebody, you don't, I'm not going to ask you who, do you have somebody? I do. Okay. Now I want you to think of the last two or three, two or three things they did that made you say, that's it. I'm done. I don't want this person in my life anymore. Okay. Are you thinking about it? I am. What they did? Making you a little angry? Yeah. Okay. So if they're still in your head, they're still in your room and they will be for the rest of your life because their fingerprints are all over your brain. You, you had interactions with them and you're gonna make future decisions based on those interactions. Now that can be both good and bad. You can have great interactions with somebody that was life-changing and they're still in your room. But even the ones that were negatively life-changing, you're gonna make future decisions based on that. And so um, when someone comes into your room, we argue that they're there for life. You may be able to put them in a box on a shelf and not thinking of them every day, but they're there. 
and they will pop out sometimes. And so, you, you know, you, you got to pay attention. Uh, and, and so we talk about how do you deal, how do you get more selective about the people you let into your room? How do you manage the ones that you had no choice over like family? And then how do you create a life of balance? That's what the book is about. Beautiful. I am definitely, definitely going to get my hands on, on that book. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all of the value and wisdom you have shared. Um, good luck on all your travels. Enjoy Venice with your with your love. And I will definitely be keeping my eye on you on social media. Sounds good. Can I leave you with one last thought? Absolutely. You know the old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know? Yes. It's. I would argue it's not either. It's not what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other. It really counts. It's not just the contacts you have. The question is, I mean, I've got some amazing contacts on my phone. The question is, could I pick up the phone and call them? Would they take my call? And if I asked them for a favor, would they be willing to do the favor? Mm -hmm. It's all about building relationships. Leona, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you very, very much. That's a wrap on another episode of the Rebel Influence podcast with me, Leona Burton. I hope you've enjoyed this rebellious journey through the world of influencers who've marched to their own beat. Special thanks to our sponsor, Peaks Private Members Club, for their support in bringing these stories to you. If you want to stay connected with the Rebel Influence community, make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And don't forget to follow me, Leona Burton, on my socials.